Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. What happens when Cain has an allergic reaction to raspberries? You know, you see what you do when Abel is so mad he's holding his breath till he passes out. Okay, you can look it up online, okay? No, they didn't have that. They didn't have a line, okay? They didn't have a memo, okay? Because Eve didn't get it either. She, she didn't, she was the, the first. I mean, she, she said, this is it. I got nobody to call. Adam, what are we supposed to do? You know, oh, no, you know, he, he got nothing. He's a guy, okay? That's, that's who their parents were. They had no Gerber. They had no pamper. They had no wipes, okay? I mean, this is, this is family 101. It's brand new stuff. Kyle and Marie and several others getting ready to have their first child. <laughs> Parenting 101 is, man, it's off the chain, mystery cool, okay? They were the pioneers of not knowing what to do. But at the same time, Adam and Eve had raised these two boys, Cain and Abel, and he raised them to work. One was a shepherd, one was a farmer. No doubt, although they didn't have the internet, they didn't have wipes and pampers, they had something else. They had a relationship with God that was different. They had a relationship and a history with God that they would pass to their children. Undoubtedly, Adam would say, boys, circle up. I got to tell you something. There is a God, man, he's out there, and he is absolutely off the chain, crazy cool. He is beyond anything you can understand or comprehend. He is amazing. And me and your mom, man, we we like walked in the garden with him. He probably didn't tell his kids they were naked because that'd be gross to them, okay? But he said, God was right there with us, talking to us, and he told us everything we needed to know, how to act and how to live. But he also told us about this enemy out there, and he told us about this tree that we weren't supposed to partake in. And I got to be honest with you, boys, your dad messed it all up. Instead of protecting your mom and protecting the integrity of our walk with God, I, I kind of let my guard down, and, and we choked, okay? And we, because of that, we, were, we will ultimately die, and so will you. So he's passing this truth along. And you know, he told his boys, and boys, I got to tell you, this God has a way of doing things, and he's always right, and he's never going to mess it up, and and he's going to tell us exactly what to do, and he'll never change. So if you'll get this right and do this right, you don't have to worry about the rest of your life, because he's not going to show up in two or three years and say, oh, time out, I got to thinking, this is not the best plan. I have another plan. He's not going to do that. He's going to tell us, and it's just going to stay that way for all of eternity. So he's passing this stuff along. Now, Something happens here. He's, we, we, we see in Scripture that Adam understood that grace is always better than works. Now, how, how would he know that? You remember? They take of the forbidden fruit. They look at each other. Now they're naked and ashamed. Not just between the two of them, but before God, you remember? So they hide in the bushes, and they make clothing out of fig leaves to cover up their nakedness, right? It's a, it's a works religion. I can, I can fix this. 
right? They tried to make themselves appealing to God in their sinful condition, but they knew it wouldn't work because God shows up, you remember, and he says, hey, guys, where are you? And he knew where they were, but he wanted them to admit where they were. And so he says, I've got some, I can fix this. So God sacrificed the first animal and made them clothing of skin to cover their sin. Grace is always better than works. And Adam, no doubt, would tell his boys that. Well, we move a little further in the story, and although that, this is who they are, brilliant guys, hardworking guys who have been instructed in a wisdom that's beyond this world. And so the title of the message today is A Tale of Two Worshippers. A Tale of Two Worshippers. Now listen how the story unfolds, beginning in verse 3. <clears throat> it says, At the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord. Verse 4, but, big word, transition. But Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. So question number one in a tale of two worshipers, what did you bring to worship God today? What did you bring? Okay, that's the question that you need to know the answer to. What did you bring today to worship this great God with? Now, in this passage, it's a proud moment in this first verse or two, a couple of verses, because it says that on this designated time, at this designated time, both boys showed up for church. Now, if you're a parent, you know, and your kids are grown, and you look up and your kids are at church, you look at your spouse and you say, hey, they're both, they both made it today. That's good. Okay, you're glad when they both show up for church. Not one good one, not one sorry one, not one drifter and one faithful. They both showed up for church. So let me say this. I'm looking around. Y'all showed up for church, and I'm glad. And it's good that you showed up for church today. And it was good that at this designated time, they both showed up for worship. Okay, check box number one. Now, it also says in here that they brought two different gifts so they came at a designated time, and they brought something to worship with. Now, let's talk about this designated time. What is it? Was it Sunday morning at 9 or 1030? Probably not, because the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath day, wouldn't be Sunday. It would be Saturday. They didn't even have that yet, okay? But it more than likely would be on a Saturday, and, and, and we don't know if it was once a week, if it was every day, if it was once a year, like the Day of Atonement. We don't know, but there's a time designated, and they both showed up. And there's a time here that things are designated. Let me give you an example. In the 1030 service, there's a designated time to get here, 1030, some like 1045, okay? But the designated time is 1030, all right? Now, there's a, de a designated time to get here, and there's a designated time then to be greeted. And then when we come through the doors, we begin what's called our worship service. That's what this is. That's why we're here. We're here to worship, okay? And in the worship service, there's a designated time to pray. And so I'll pray and there's a designated time because that's worship. And then there's a designated time to sing. And so we sing songs of worship to God. And then there's a designated time to give our offering. And our offering is a form of worship to God. And then there's a designated time to open up his word and to hear and allow God to speak to our hearts and to our lives and to our minds. That's a designated time of worship. And then at the end, there's an opportunity to respond to what we've just done in worshiping, in song, in giving, in prayer, and in word. 
we respond to what the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. It's all a designated time of worship, and it's beautiful, okay? It really is. But there's something different here because although they both showed up, they didn't show up with the same thing. And so you got to ask a question then. If they, if they didn't show up with the same thing, why are they even there? Is it because Adam and Eve was going to not invite them over for fried chicken lunch after church? You know, mom and dad's going to be upset with them if, if both boys don't show up for church? I don't believe so. I believe that in every person, there is something in us that has a desire to worship God. I believe that in every single one of us, there's a desire, there's a, a truth that's planted in us that says there's something bigger than me, and there's something bigger than you, and there's something bigger than this part of the world that we live in. There's something bigger, and that bigger thing, that bigger one is a God, and we know it's true. Now, we don't like it because a big God means he has big rules, and big rules means we're not in charge. And so we kick against that, we battle against that, we, we try to do our own thing, we try to write our own rules, we try to, to, to deny that God exists, we try desperately to be free beings without a God, but the whole time we know in the depths of our soul that there's a God who's out there. Now, how do I know that's true? Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, he, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. And he has also set eternity in their heart. You see, I believe Cain and Abel showed up because they knew this was the right thing. They may not have done it perfect, but they knew this is the right thing. I'll be honest with you. I know, I got to share this. I had an email, a face, uh, Insta message this week, something like this. It said, uh, hey, uh, Brother Joel, been missing you. We have an opening at our church. We would love for you to come back and consider pastoring our church. It would be a wonderful reunion. So what do you think? And I was with Daryl Leach. And so I said, I just got this this week. And, and so I made up a response. I said, man, I'm very interested in what I've just read. Please have your, uh, your uh, pulpit committee or whatever contact me right away. I'd like to learn more details. And Daryl's driving. He's like, do what? I said, I just made that up. I ain't going nowhere. I said, my answer, I read my answer. My answer was this. I am where God wants me to be, and my goal in life is to be where he wants me to be. And so on Sunday mornings when I come, here, come up here and preach, this, this little spot, this circle is where I'm supposed to be, okay? I know it's right. I know I'm supposed to be here. And there's nothing better than to know you're where God wants you to be, okay? Now, it's because God has placed in my heart what's right, and we know it's right. Joe was telling me he was going to Nashville this weekend, which he didn't because their babies were sick. But he said, I'll be gone Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I said, okay. He goes, I'm not really going to be gone Sunday. You know, I think he was disappointed that I wasn't upset. And I said, I know, I trust you, man. I said, if you're not here, somebody will be up here and we'll have great worship because I trust you with that. You know, and, and I, last Sunday, I, I told George and Rachel, this is George and Rachel right back here. That's their seats. Don't take their seats. I don't ask people to leave, but that is their seats, okay? Every Sunday, rain, shine, whatever, right there, unless they're sick or something serious going on. Wednesday night, faithful. And I told them last Sunday, I said, I wish everybody was as faithful as these two because we would have to add a third service because they get the reality that some things in this life are just right. 
and coming at a designated time to worship our amazing God is right. And we're supposed to do it. And so I believe Cain and Abel got that. But then the lines separate a little bit and, and they bring something different. They bring a different gift. Now, I want you to understand that we all show up at church on Sunday, and the question is this, what did you bring to God today? Because sometimes we leave church and we're like, driving home, yeah, it was a pretty good message. Yeah, the worship was good. Yeah, it was a little loud. The music lights were a little bright in my face. And Brother Joel, you know, he told too many stories and not enough scripture. I, Brother Joel told too much scripture and not enough stories. He didn't make me laugh today. Okay, so it was just an okay day. Okay, we evaluate everything. And the question is, what'd you show up with? You expect Joe and Joel to show up with everything and just throw up on you, okay? The question is, what did you show up with to worship God with today? What did you bring? And I want you to know it's not just in these four walls and in this little 1030 to uh, 1120 hours. <laughs> That's <was> a joke. <laughs> From 11 to 12 uh, hour. Okay, it's of, of preaching, and, and, and it's 10.30 to 12 service. It's not what is in here that you bring. I want you to know that when we leave these doors, every moment of every day, we are supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be a designated time of worship to God. Every breath, every heartbeat, every step, every thought, everything should be an act of worship to God. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive and holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Joshua 24, one of my favorite life parenting verses, Joshua is speaking, he says, Obey the Lord and worship him with integrity and loyalty. Put aside the gods of your ancestors, the ones that, that they worship beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt, and worship the Lord. If you have no desire to worship the Lord, this is so cool, this is bold. He says, if you don't have a desire to worship the Lord, then choose today who it is you will worship, whether it be the gods whom your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. This is it. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. You see, he got it, and we need to get it. When the winds of change come blowing in and all of these secular ideas, oh, I've got a new revelation, I understand God, and, and uh, Jesus is not the only way. When you hear all that garbage, if it does not align itself with Scripture, you look at the world and say, as for me and my house house. We will worship the Lord. And if you will do that, you will get what God has for you in this life. And so now, so far, so good. They've got a work ethic and they, they've got this idea about worship and they show up. But he, here's where a tale of two worshipers really separates. Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground, and but Abel brought the firstborn and the fattest of what he brought. What's that? What is that? What did you bring today? Did you bring just I brought some of my stuff? Or did you bring the very best firstborn, fattest of your existence to God?
Because let me tell you what he deserves. The absolute best you and I have. Surrendered to Jesus, his son. That's it. So they bring these different gifts, but something now happens. Point number two, question number two, was God pleased with what you brought? You see, at the end of the day, at the end of the service, when you're in your car going home, and maybe you're eating lunch or maybe this afternoon and you're sitting around, you know, wondering what to do next. I want you to think about this question. Okay, what did I, seriously, what did I bring to worship this morning? What did I take God? And number two, ask God this question. Was he really pleased with what I brought? Or was he displeased? Because I want to tell you something, God cares. He cares what you bring. He watches what you bring. This is sobering. God observes what you bring, and he responds. And either he looks at what you bring in worship to him, and he says, wow, that's good. I am pleased with that. Or he looks and says, that's secondhand. That's crumbs. That's yesterday's meatloaf in a Tupperware tub. Okay, it's not the first, it's the seconds, and it's the leftovers, and I'm not pleased. The Bible says in verse second part of verse 4 of chapter 4, And the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. Five, but with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. He was not pleased. Now see, it doesn't matter what Joe or Kyle or Joel think about anybody's worship, even our own. All that matters is what God thinks about all of our worship. That's all that matters. The question is not what your pastor thinks. The question, the question is not what the, your spouse thinks. The question is not what your children think. The, the question is not what your parents think. The question is, what does God think about your offering, about your worship, about what you bring to him? And it does seem a little bit unfair, does it not? That here's Cain. He's obviously a good dude. Here's Abel, another good dude. Boys born of Adam and Eve, the first parents and and they're at church, they're at worship, this designated time. But something happens and God says, this I'm pleased with and this I'm not pleased with. It seems like Cain is struggling a little bit. But I, I want us to uncover and know why he's pleased with one and unpleased with the other. Okay? So here's the first question. Who decides what pleases God and what doesn't? Who, who decides what's a good offering a good worship to show up with, and what's not? Well, God created it all. God sustains it all. God is in the process of redeeming it all. God owns it all. So God gets to make the rules, right? And so God has established rules. Now, we don't see in this text what the rules are, but we can we can know based on what they do that they knew there were some rules and some guidelines that had been passed on to them by their parents and also by the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to show you today the difference and how God evaluates what we bring. In this tale of two worshipers, Cain brought the works of his labor. That's the problem. Cain brought what he did. Now, I want you to picture it for a second. Here's the farmer, Cain, and man, he's just had a harvest time, and he goes through, and maybe he got the best pumpkin. Maybe he got the best corn on the cob, and he peeled the shucks back so it's bright yellow, and man, he put it right there in front of the pumpkin. 
okay? And then he had some turnips over there, and he cleaned the turnips up because they just yanked them out of the ground. He washed them up, and they're purple and white, and he left the greens on top. And he's got them spread out there in this nice basket. And, 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 and then he takes uh, uh, some okra, and then he takes whatever, some apples, whatever he's been growing. And, man, he just puts it on display. And, and the whole time he's thinking, man, I worked hard. I cultivated, I mean, I tilled the soil, I planted the seed, I cultivated it, I watered it, and now I've harvested it, I've cleaned it up, and he comes before God hiding behind the works of his hands. He comes before God behind this amazing display of fruit that he has generated for God. And his thought is this, man, I I have done good. God is going to be so, won't he be so proud of me? That's one of them little kids' songs, that's the only line I know. Okay, he's like, God will be proud. He's going to love this beautiful display, this amazing fruit. Meanwhile, Abel shows up. The Bible says he brought the firstborn, the fattest of his herd. Now, he didn't just bring him over there and tie him to a tree. He sacrificed his offering before God. Here's the difference. Religion 101. Cain embraced the religion, the first religion of his mom and dad. I can hide my sinful condition if I do enough good stuff. If I can show God the good stuff I can do on my own, he'll forget about my sin. He'll look past my sin because look what I've done. Listen, church. That is religion. And if you die in religion thinking that you can somehow meritoriously please God so much that he'll look over your sin, you will die in your sin and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's scripture. You, can't, you can never do enough to make God love you anymore. Abel, on the other hand, knew, I got a sheep. I didn't make it. I just care for it. And I know based on what my dad told me that when they sinned, what they made for themselves was not good enough. And so God showed up and sacrificed an animal. So God needs blood to wash away my sin. So he says, I'm going to sacrifice the best thing that I have. Now, the question is, how did God, excuse me, how did Abel know this? He's tier one. Firstborn, how does he know the idea, the, 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 the significance of a blood sacrifice? How does he know that you can only go before God hiding in the shed blood of something sacrificed? How did he know that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin? How does he know this stuff? Because that's cool. How did he pick up on that and Cain didn't get it? How'd he do it? You want to know why? Because Abel was the first prophet. Abel was the first prophet. And Scripture tells us that all prophets, Acts chapter 10, verse 43, all prophets give witness through his name, talking about Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him shall receive Remission of sins. I want you to understand, at at creation's dawning, 
God gave Abel the gift of prophecy, and he saw that there was going to be a Messiah. He understood what God judged the devil with in the garden when he said, your seed will strike the heel of the woman's seed, but the woman's seed will crush your head. Abel got the fact that one day Jesus, God, is coming to pay sin's price on a cross. And so right then, he understood that blood was required. Abel knew Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which wasn't even written. He knew that by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Abel knew that. Abel knew what John would say in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Abel knew what Moses would write in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, that God would tell the nation of Israel, when I see the blood smithered over your doorpost, the death angel will not come in. How did he know? Because he was a prophet. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, I hope you are. How do you know he's a prophet? How do you know he's the first prophet? Well, of all of the instruction we get from the Bible, what Jesus said is most important. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 47 through 51, Jesus said, Woe to you! You build tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed. So you testify that you approve of their deeds of your ancestors because they killed the prophets and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held accountable. Now listen, lean in, for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Abel was the first prophet, and prophets always testify of a greater blood sacrifice when God would die for the sins of the world. Not only did he understand it, okay, because a lot of times we understand spiritual things, but our approach to spiritual things is a little bit jagged. It's a little bit messed up. It's important that we don't just understand the protocol or the step-by-step uh, procedure of a worship, our heart has to be right. Not only do we have to understand that forgiveness comes in the blood, we also have to understand how we go before God and how we get that blood to cover our sins. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by it, the people of the old receive God's commendation. By faith, we understand that the worlds were set in order and God at God's command so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. Now listen, by faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain. And through his faith, he was commended as righteous because God commended him for his offerings. And through his faith, he still speaks though he is dead. So here it is. Listen, everybody. What is an offering that's acceptable to God today? It is anything you bring 
placed under the blood of Jesus, placing our faith. See, I want you to understand something. The Bible says that God hears the prayers of the righteous, of the people who have rightness in their life. You and I have no rightness on our own, no rightness. Look at your neighbor and say, you all wrong. You know you've been thinking that all morning, so I just gave you permission, okay? Before God, we're all wrong. But Jesus came in his righteousness, in his rightness, and he died in our place on a cross, and he offers us this grace gift. So here it is. When I stand before God, when I worship God, it must be in the posture of faith in what Jesus has done for me. I can't worship God because I've done something good. I can't come to church and think, man, I did good this week. I studied my guts out. Man, I wrote a good outline. Man, I got a funny joke in there and a story to tell. All that's garbage and valueless before God. But when I bring my offering, for me, it's my preaching and my singing, which is not very good. But when I bring it to God, it's, it's in Jesus and what he has done. So if, if you want to know, if you want to know today, if your worship is pleasing to God, here it is. Here's the question. Is your worship today motivated, saturated, and dedicated in faith to and through Jesus the Christ and his sacrifice on a cross for you. You get that? If it is, listen to me. If it is, listen to me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is pleased. And there's nothing in this life you want to do more than to please the God who created you. Because when you do, man, he shows up. He shows up. So everything we do, Every Sunday, man, when we leave this door, we got to every day, every moment, we got to say, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. It's in faith, man. I'm behind Jesus. God, I'm hiding in Jesus and what he did. So let me be your instrument, your, your tool to be used in this world and, 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 and help me be empowered by your spirit. Let it not be about me because when it's about me, it does not please you. That has to be the posture and the motivation of our heart. So... What about the other worshiper? That's Abel. He got it right. Amen. It's cool. I mean, he got it. What about his brother, the other worshiper? The tale of the second worshiper. Well, Jude 11 tells us a little bit about Cain. He shows up again in the New Testament too, just like Abel. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. The way of Cain is this religion idea. The Bible says in 1 John 3, verse 11 and 12, for this is the gospel message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And who would John choose, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to show a picture of what it doesn't look like? He says, not like Cain, who was the evil one and who brutally murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, but his brother's we're righteous. So the questions are, what did you bring today? And the question number two is, when you leave this place, was God pleased with your offering? Number three, and we're finished, does something need to change? Does something need to change? This is so good. Listen, church. Sometimes these messages are really hard to preach because it's hard truth, man. And it preaches, just so you know, it wears me out all week long. You get leftovers, okay? And when I read about Cain and Abel, man, I look at my life and I say, Cain, 
What about that Cain? What about that Cain? Every now and then, okay, that was some Abel. God was pleased. But here's the deal. This is the beauty of it. God always extends mercy and grace. He always looks at our yesterday or our today and says, yeah, you kind of choked on that one. You kind of messed that up, but it's going to be okay if you'll do things my way. He did it for Adam and Eve. You remember, they're naked and ashamed. And he goes in the garden, hey, guys, where are you? He knew where they were, but he wanted them to confess. And then he made right by it. He extended grace and mercy to them. Well, he does it again. Cain shows up. God's not pleased with his offering. And then he says this in verse 5. So Cain became very angry, and his expression was downcast. He's mad at God. He's he's mad at uh, Abel. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, Cain didn't go before God and beg for mercy because, God, I didn't know. How did I mess this up? You're not pleased. Woe is me. Help me figure this out. That's not what he did. The Lord came to Cain, and he said, Cain, why are you angry, and why is your expression downcast? You know, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, we get mad. You know, when the Holy Spirit kind of quickens our heart and says, hey, you need to cut that business out of your life, I'm not pleased with that. We don't like it. We don't like the preacher who told us. We don't like it when the Holy Spirit convicts our heart. We don't like it. So we get mad because we don't get to do it our way. So God comes to him. He says, why is this? Verse 7, is it not true, Cain, that now if you do what is right, you will be fine? Isn't that beautiful? Right in the middle of his anger, right in the middle of his disappointment, right in the middle of his frustration, God says, there's still hope. If you'll do right, everything's going to be fine. God always gives second chances. But if you do not do what is right, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to dominate you, so you must subdue it. Today, here's what happens. We we allow sin to come into our life, and they're just the little sins. There's no such thing, but that's what we call them. These little sins slip into our life, and... We think they're harmless, well, they're very harmful, because there's no sin that runs alone. Sin brings with it companions, and sin desires to drag us into a deeper commitment to sin. And all the while, we're moving further and further away from the good, from our God. And God tells Cain, listen, stop this behavior right now. Let's get this right, and you're going to be okay. We can work this out. I desire more than this from you and with you, all right? And that's what he desires for us. And he, he says, but if you don't, it's going to take you captive. The Bible says in verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out in the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Now I want to tell you something. Listen, you remember in the New Testament when the Pharisees thought, yeah, Jesus, you're so smart, you know, Mr. Rabbi. Got a question for you. What's the greatest commandment? Thinking they would stump him. Jesus said, you can sum it all up. The prophet, the law, all of it. You can hang it on this right here. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He did not say, go out and love everybody, and you'll please God. He said, love God with everything you have, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to understand today, if you don't love God with everything you have, you'll never love your neighbor as yourself. You'll never get the love for others right if you don't get your love for God right. Cain is a picture of that. He didn't love God, 
enough to worship him on God's terms. And because of that, he couldn't love anybody else, including his very own brother, the brother of his childhood memories. He took him out in a field and he brutally murdered his brother. So the question is, does something need to change? What did you bring? Was God pleased? And if not, is he saying to you, hey, let's start doing this right and everything's going to be fine? Or is he giving you instruction today that says you need to change this? Sin is crouching at your door and it's going to destroy you. In the beginning, I said we would answer in this chapter four big questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to good people. Abel was a good dude. Amen? Amen. He got it. He understood God. He understood loving his brother. He understood why his purpose in life. And he did his offering right, and God was pleased. Bad things happening to good people. His brother takes him in the field and kills him. Why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, there's not anybody that's really good. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not even one. Secondly, the reason bad things happen to good people is the same reason bad things happen to bad people, because we live in a badly broken world. We're all products of the fall, and we can fight against it, push back against it, try to protect ourselves, but bad things just happen to everybody because we live in a broken world, and that's just it. Number two, why is there dysfunctional family? You think your family wrote the book on dysfunctional. I got news for you. God wrote the book on dysfunctional. It's found in Genesis, right here in Genesis chapter 4. The very first family was dysfunctional. And so because of that, every family will be dysfunctional. And God is always about looking into your dysfunctional family and saying, hey, it's not right, but I can make it right. If you will let me, I will come into your dysfunctional family and I will begin to do a, a work of redemption and make something beautiful out of your dysfunction. He'll do that. He tried to do it right here, but they wouldn't let him. Number three, why pro prosperity gospel is false. Prosperity gospel says if I have enough faith, mustard seed of faith, and if I give the right seed offering into a ministry somewhere, if I get my heart right and get my wallet right, then I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and nothing will harm me. That is a lie. That is not scripture. Perfect picture right here in chapter four. Abel had faith. Abel had the offering. And how did it play out for him? His brother murdered him in a field. So prosperity gospel is false. Number four, is Jesus the only way I will ever get to God? You remember several, several years ago, Oprah Winfrey show, Oprah said, that Jesus can't be the only way to heaven. Well, Oprah Winfrey and everybody else that wants to think that, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We read right here, there's only one way that you can ever go before God and into his presence to worship him, and it is by a blood sacrifice. And Jesus is that. That's what Jesus has done. So he is the only way. God is a good, good God, but he has determined the rules of this life. And when we align ourselves with his rule, it may not be always be feel good and it may not always be happy. But let me tell you, 
God, when he's pleased, whether we live healthy or whether we're murdered in a field by our brother, God will one day say, hey, you did good. I was pleased you come on in. And what he has in store on the other side of this life is so much more than anything we've ever experienced in this life. No matter what the best day you've ever had, the best moment in time, whether it's getting married or the birth of a child or whatever it is, it doesn't even compare to an eternity in the presence of God doing things the way he has said to do it. So listen, church, what'd you bring? Is God pleased? Does something need to change? I want you to know that Isaiah 29, 13 speaks into this. He describes often where we as a church are, where we as individuals are. He says about his people, he says, they come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. They talk this good spiritual religious talk, but their hearts are far, far away from me. And he reads our hearts, not our deeds. Deuteronomy 30, God holds this out to us. He says, I have placed before you on this day life and death, blessing and cursing. So choose, therefore, this day life. Listen, every individual in here, this is not to a corporate body. This is to every soul represented by every person in this place. God holds himself out to you like this. He says, I love you with all of your baggage. I love you with all of your mess. I love you in and through all of your sinfulness. But you cannot come into my presence and worship me with all of that. Everything you have, I have done to redeem on a cross. And if you'll just bring your own messed up self humbly and just admit, God, I am chief among sinners. I am the worst one in this bunch. And so God, in this moment, I come with all of my mess and I come right up under the cross where the blood's dripping down from Jesus, the savior. And I want Jesus to wash me clean in his sacrificial blood. And I want you to save me from myself and make me your own right now and forevermore. God, thank you for hearing my humble, broken prayer. Help me leave this, this worship service and live for you forever changed. Help my every day be a worship service to you that you would be pleased.